0: Would you join me in welcoming our guest, Tyler Trnesky? <laughs> he's about to do a very brave interview, all right? But let, let me just put it in context. We're in the second week of a three-part series called The Gospel, Homosexuality, and the Church. And if you're just joining us, you may be wondering: what in the world would a church do three weeks, three-week series on homosexuality? And I covered that. I answered that question last weekend when we launched the series. So rather than repeat what I said, let me encourage you to go online, to download it, to listen to that sermon if you missed it, provided some really important foundational information from the Bible about this topic. And uh, let me say, too, I really appreciate, I just got a wave of positive response this past week which tells me the sermon hit home. It was helpful. So if you missed it I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Now last weekend I acknowledged to you that unfortunately I only was able to cover half my material. Uh, We were talking about homosexuality in the context of God's big story. Okay, The Bible's overarching storyline has four parts to it. Creation, and then the fall, and then redemption, And finally, restoration. And we only got through parts one and two, which means I left you at a bummer of a place in the overall story, right after the fall. Okay, bad news. Uh, Ironically, the Bible's overarching story is referred to as the gospel, which means literally good news. So what were we doing parked on the bad news? Well, you won't understand how good the good news is until you understand the bad news. So that's what we covered last weekend. I'm really glad to be able to move on to the second part of the story, the good news part of the good news, redemption and restoration. And we've invited Tyler here because what, what we're going to do is illustrate the second half of God's big story, redemption and restoration, with this interview. Now, just a disclaimer up front, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Tyler's story is not the only same-sex attracted story out there, and we know that. So if, if you've got any sort of a struggle in this area of your life, if you feel yourself to be identified as gay, or you're struggling with same-sex attraction, or you're confused about your sexual identity, or someone you know, someone you love, good friend of yours has recently come out as, as gay, and you're listening to this interview and you're saying, well, that bears no resemblance to my story. I mean, we we get it. There are multiple stories out there. However, we've chosen one story, Tyler's story, for a couple of reasons. Uh, Reason number one is because it illustrates the second half of God's big story. You know, you are going to hear about redemption and restoration in this story. But secondly, listening to anybody's story in this regard will, will help make those of us who've never traveled in shoes like these more empathetic. You know, two weeks from today when we close out the series... Uh, we're going to be talking about how to love people in the LGBT community, mm-hmm. how to be a welcoming place as, as a church. So this gets us headed down that road, hopefully more empathetic when we listen to the, the story of a struggler. Yeah. So with no further ado, I'm going to jump right in at the beginning of your story, uh, Tyler, your birth. Early on, you discovered that you were adopted. And I'm curious, did that, did that discovery have a positive or a negative impact on your life?
1: Yeah, my, my adoption something I've always known about. My parents had tried for seven years to have a child of their own with no luck. Uh, all kinds of fertility treatments and doctors, consultations, nothing was working. And so they signed up for an adoption agency and a few months later got a call that a baby boy could be theirs. And so that up. Uh, was a major turning point in their life. If you can imagine, after seven years of struggle, this baby is delivered. Uh, they were praising the Lord, thanking God for that. My parents are both believers. And so praising God that this baby was delivered. And I was raised very much with this story. I always knew about my adoption. I was well aware of it. And I think it had a positive impact. It was presented to me is this is how we have a child. This is what the Lord did for us. We were waiting for you. We love you. And uh, I believed them. I was experienced that and how they treated me. And I, yeah, I w- had a very positive experience about my adoption.
0: You know, one of the reasons I ask you this question is some people say that homosexuality is totally the result of having grown up in a dysfunctional home. Mm-hmm. So when I want to ask you about your childhood years. What, was the family dysfunctional? Was it a healthy family? What was it like? Yeah,
1: I'd say that's very much not my story. Uh, when it comes to dysfunction in the home, I The seven-year pause that my parents had before they uh, bought me meant that they were a little more financially stable by the time I came around. And so I remember having all my needs provided for in that way, Um, a lot of care, many opportunities, both from early childhood all the way through, whether it was different camps or experiences or lessons, that kind of stuff. And so I no, I wouldn't say my story fits that story of maybe an early abuse experience. I will say, though, that there are those that would say that that's true about themselves that maybe a a point of early abuse or a series of bullying as a child they believe really affected their sexuality and and I can understand that and affirm that but I would say that's not part of my story and I'd say that just as, as a larger point as well, when it comes to getting the exact cause of homosexuality, I think the most honest people will say, we still don't know. There's yeah. some that say biology, some that say the way you were raised, and folks are still investigating that. But yes. I think the most honest answer at this point is we aren't sure.
0: Yeah, I, I love the way, I read one author who said, it's, it's like a brawl on a fifth grade playground. Nobody knows who started. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what role did faith play in your home? Was, you know, was a relationship with God talked about? Uh, Did you guys go to church?
1: Yeah, very much so. We were in church a lot. That was the era of the Wednesday night service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and we were there. My parents were very involved in a church that my grandmother had been um, a part of starting, and so they were married in this church. I was raised in this church. Uh, Church was the the biggest world, and really my main world outside of the home during those early years. We were there often. I was fascinated at church. We were at a a larger church, kind of like this place that paid good attention to presentation and the art. and so church productions I was all about. We had a great tech director, a lot like y'all, and so I was just fascinated uh, at church. It was a big, expansive place. I'm imaginative, and I, I remember having very positive memories there as a kid.
0: Okay, let's fast forward to middle school and high school. Uh, What sorts of activities activities were you were you involved in what, what gifts did you discover you had yeah discovered
1: a lot so I was a little bit of a bookworm and nerd and got really involved in some of like the academic type realms and uh, academic teams and then doing well in school in terms of classes, but then also got very involved in theater, performance, band uh, you know I said the church had great performances I was hooked and so everything at school that I could do that was performing on or around a stage absolutely loved it and really uh, was thriving in those places.
0: Yeah, if I can ask a somewhat delicate question, okay. did all this interest in the arts, uh, did it raise any questions about sexual orientation? It you know, just seems a lot of people involved in the arts uh, you know, come from, from a gay persuasion, was, you know, okay. did that raise that issue in your
1: mind? That's, a, that's certainly a connection we have culturally, right? Especially for any men interd- interested in the arts, there must be some kind of homosexual inclination, right? And uh, I would say that the arts is definitely where I met some of my first gay friends and being involved in theater. But I find it unfortunate that we have that association because... The first way we come to know God in the Bible, right, is God's the creator. In the beginning, God created. And I think God is creative and God is imaginative and God is one that dreams and communicated so creatively in his word. I mean, there's yes. stories here, there's poems here, there's everything, right? And so it's, it's very unfortunate to me that we've associated creativity in males with... Um, homosexuality when I think those that are most creative and doing the most creative work are really um, living out kind of an image of God type thing. They're reflecting something that's so close to what God does in his creative activity.
0: Okay. So healthy home, all this, uh, these gifts being discovered and your involvement in school kind of exciting, but there was a dark side to your life there At was. this period in time. So tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So, while so everything's going on the front end, right? And school's going great, and the speech team, I was doing really well, and all these kinds of things right out front. Back behind, there was just a lot of mess. I uh, was heavily addicted to pornography, can't really remember even when that started, which I think to me, as I reflect on that, just shows it had become such a part of my life. You know, we got the internet probably fourth or fifth grade, I'm thinking, and those are the dial-up days, right? So ding, 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 and here it is. But who would have thought, I think, when the internet first came into homes, all that kids would have access to? And so we didn't really have the limits that I think good parents put on technology today, but it was just a free place for me to roam and explore, and I did. And I found porn pretty quickly and was hooked into it. And couldn't get my hands on enough of it and whenever I would get the chance it could sneak away I was there and so that's happening. Um, At the same time too my relationship with my father was disintegrating a bit. We We are different in ways, I mean, as times goes on, I found we're more similar than I would have wanted to admit then, but different um, in that he's more of a work with your hands kind of guy, less verbal than I am and just a very, for a talkative kid, a bit of a thinker. I thought we were so different. He didn't get me. I told him when I was about 16, I'm like, I'm smarter than you'll ever be, and I believed it at the time. Uh, I've had to apologize for that since, but just... You've never heard (laughs) that, right? (laughs) No, No. Moms and dads, right so so some friction there growing right in that relationship so there's porn there's this relationship with a dad that's falling apart and then from the pornography that kind of led into actualizing some of those sexual desires that I was starting to get for people of the same sex. And so I'm meeting with folks on the internet or classmates at school when opportunities would arise and we're doing things we have no business doing, right? And so all this is happening in the background. I'm keeping it very hidden. It's kind of like two lives are growing, right? But very hidden there and then performing more on the front end, uh, trying, maybe if you will, Put a lot on stage and hide what's backstage. Is a lot so of what was happening. Th-
0: this promiscuity yes. that you're involved in. This sexual exploration. What, was it homosexual? Heterosexual?
1: Yeah, it was all homosexual. Um, just whether it was started with like a friend in the neighborhood and just hanging out after school one day. Um, I'll say the word innocently. I hope you understand what I mean by innocently. It wasn't that any of us had this goal going into it, but that just sort of blossomed. And then he kind of moved on. He was done, but I wasn't. And I was looking for anyone else after that, and where could I find it, and who will this work with, and just uh, an endless appetite, it seemed, for that kind of activity.
0: You know, I don't know if you can answer this, but I'm curious from a uh, chicken and egg standpoint, which comes first, okay? Was was there a, a bent in your nature, uh, a proclivity toward homosexuality that led to the porn that led to the promiscuity? Mm-hmm. Or was the, did the porn arouse something that hadn't been there before and now led you into, into homosexual promiscuity?
1: Yeah. I, uh, I'd say that I think when the porn began coming from the the home that I did, sex wasn't something we talked about a whole lot, and so it was more just that, that thrill of something that was hidden and secret and what is this, and that thrill just propelled me through the porn. It became predominantly homosexual porn by the end of it, um, and then, of course, when it was time to act out, it was all with men. So I'm not sure if I can say which came first, but I just remember the the, the early thrill of this is something illicit yes. and then the knowledge that this is something I, I would never say to anyone because I know it's kind of bad and risque, but I also, it, it, it's enticing to me. It's exciting.
0: Yes. Is Was this who you wanted to be? You know, as you're looking at your life, is this? were you okay with all this?
1: No. I... Uh, there was such a disjunction, right, happening. And I know that I wanted to be the person that was on the stage, right? We've kind of talked about that one person, but achieving and, and liked and friends and this kind of thing. And even straight, I mean, I had dreams of... Uh, you know, a wife and kids, all those kinds of things that folks talk about. Wanted that very much so. Very frustrated with myself that this was part of my life. It led me to journal uh, every day. The journal was the one place I could be honest, right? So when there's stuff you can't tell people in this world and stuff you can't tell people in this world, at least I had this book that I could write in and be real honest in those pages. And so I still have that book and I read it from time to time and it's At times, it makes me laugh. At times, I cry. It is a confused guy, very frustrated, very upset, uh, angry with who he is and who he's becoming, feeling stuck. I think that's a word that gets used a lot in that journal. And uh, just caught, really caught in this place I didn't want to be, but really had no way of getting out of.
0: Did you ever think, well, maybe this is the way God made me?
1: Hmm. I... uh, I didn't want to at first. That came maybe a little later in high school when there was a guy that came along where there started to be more emotional connection with. So a lot of those first experiences were just more physical, sexual. Uh, but later in, in high school came a guy where there's this emotional connection. And I uh, that's maybe where in the journaling too it's it turns that page of, is this how God made me? Is this who I'm supposed to be? Uh, the first time I've used the word maybe gay in the journal, right? It's all coming at that point where I, I'm i thinking that that might be who I am, but then I also, I knew the Bible well from being raised where we were, and I just didn't think that would happen, but very confused, you know.
0: What, what was your knowledge of what the Bible teaches? Like, we, we took a whole weekend last weekend to lay a biblical foundation, what Scripture teaches. Did you have a... a, a Bible foundation of what the Bible says about homosexual
1: behaviors. Yeah, we, we, had, we were at a great church growing up that loved the Bible, and so I knew well that homosexuality was something condemned in God's law in the Old Testament, right? And then that that uh, the prohibition against homosexuality was upheld in the New Testament by writers like Paul that would talk about it, whether it's in Romans or 1 Corinthians. And so it just, it seemed to me I had that sense even all through high school that homosexuality wasn't part of God's design, not part of His intention for humanity. Um, I, I was pretty convinced by that from the Bible. Did this then create a dissonance in a relationship with God? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Certainly in the sense that I I knew that what I was doing was wrong, but I didn't care. But then I also wanted God to still love and approve of me, right? So you get in these awkward patterns and, I mean, really destructive patterns. If I'm going to do this anyway, I don't care. And then, well, I'll be really kind to people and really nice to people on this side and can't make it up. Exactly. And so performing as hard as I could in one world, right, while doing whatever I wanted in the other and hoping that God would be satisfied by the performance and look away from what I knew was wrong and that... That, that, that was terrible. You yes. never knew where you stood with God yes. in that place, yes. right? Have I done enough to make up for this? That uncertainty, yes. very troubling. Yeah.
0: Now, ironically, so you've got this tension in a relationship with God, mm-hmm. but again, your public persona, you're very successful. Yeah. I mean, I get a kick out of this for your, your story. You had you some goals. You me so well. It, yeah. You had, yeah, you had some goals. What were your goals and how to, you know, which ones did yeah, you achieve?
1: Yeah, so I, I had four big goals going into high school. I wanted to be class president, valedictorian uh, homecoming King and prom King right here 's some watch. I got three of the four, so I, uh, I wound up as valedictorian. I was the student body president, homecoming king, but i didn 't get the prom King.
0: I was just hoping for a date in <laughs> <Right>. high school. <laughs> wow right. wow okay let 's move on to college. First of all, as you go away to college, you said at the tail end of your high school career, you had one relationship that had become romantic. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happened to that relationship?
1: That continued uh, through those early months in, in college. And so we were still in contact, but then I was also meeting new people at school. And I... You know you go away and I had kind of free reign at the school and you know a little money in your pocket a place away from your folks and college was a place to do whatever I wanted to do and so I was in the driver's seat felt like I was in total control and I said I can do whatever I want here and pretty quickly um, I realized that with myself in the driver's seat I went to some pretty awful places and I can think of Driving home late at night from just awful experiences right that I had made for myself that I had chosen to go to these places, driving home and thinking, "What the heck tyler this is how did you do that, and how did you wind up there and it's, it's where I had taken myself you know and and I think that 's the way it is with sin i've had a friend that says this, but sin always costs more than you 're willing to pay, it always promises more than it delivers right it always takes it never gives, and i uh think even diving headfirst into sin in those early months helped me realize that personally. It's like, how did this happen? This isn't what I wanted, wow. but I was I was wow. doing whatever I wanted. Wow. And was,
0: now, interesting. Uh, there's a tension here because while you're doing all this stuff, yeah. you got attracted to a Christian ministry that was meeting on campus, yeah. and you started attending this group. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you've got all this behavior <laughs> buried you know, what in the world attracted you to this group? I'd be scared if I were you that, you know, who I am might come out and they might reject me. And what was it about this group that made it so attractional?
1: I, I was scared. So very much kept that part a secret. But I saw how they related with one another. I think that's something a lot of folks do when they visit a church or a new place, right? You want to see how they treat each other and I saw that they were honest, that they cared well for each other. There seemed to be a deep connection there. They weren't just shoving stuff away, so they were pretty real with who they were, and they were diving into very real issues, but there was a a grace and a love there. They were persistent in their invitation. I was getting these, weekly dinner invites for Thursday night dinner, which is, of course the meeting was right after. So come to dinner and then come with us to this meeting after, you know, so classic campus ministry tactic, but, but it worked, <laughs> you know, and they were persistent and that's our tactic too, <laughs> <by the> way, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Come to dinner after the Saturday night service. Yeah. Right? And kind invitation. And I, I sensed, I just got this sense that they cared for me as a person, a whole person. And so it was a place that, you know, a little at a time, and you take small steps of trust, but maybe I'll share a little bit, but not all of this, or I'll share a a pretty tame sin, but not all this junk that I know, right? And so taking those first steps and gauging how they responded, I just wanted to keep coming. Yes,
0: now you did keep going. And this led to a point of decision where you, you surrendered your life to Jesus. Now, the question I have is was this was this a uh, kind of picking up where it had left off back in childhood, so it was a reaffirmation of a decision you made back then or was this a brand new spanking decision to follow Christ?
1: Yeah, the, the biblical story I've used to make most sense of kind of my life with the Lord has been the story of the prodigal son, right? So it's a son that's raised in the family, he's aware of what family life is like with his father and that's how I feel with the church. I was raised in the family i knew what family life was like or could be life Uh, turned my back on that right didn't want it so the son in the story give me my inheritance i'm going to do my own thing kind of similar to that going off to college or those end of high school years and then i'd say that what happens in this um, returning to Christ moment in, in college is, is a coming back home, but it's a different coming home in the sense that I'm willing now to be under the Lordship of Christ. I think in those early years I would have said, Jesus is my Savior, yes, and you know, Savior is great, but that idea of Christ as Savior and Lord, yes. I'm not sure I was ready to have a Lord that could um, tell me how to live my life and make demands on my behavior. I, I wasn't yes. ready to have yes. that. I wasn't yeah. ready to resign as president of my own own life right yeah. and so that that was what was different about this return to the Lord that here I am this is where I know I've taken it I've messed up and now I'm ready to live according to how you say is best for people to live
0: you know we're, we're fond of uh, referring to Jesus as king around huh. here yeah. you got to get off the throne of your own life and allow Jesus to, to reign what was the first step for you in following Jesus what what did you have to do to get started down that road
1: that a uh, I'd say the word repentance, which is a kind of a churchy word. It summarizes all of Jesus' teaching. If you want a one-word summary for Jesus' teaching in the Bible, it's repent. And a simple definition is to turn away from sin and turn towards God. And so for me, that meant turning away from a lot of these habits and patterns I was in. It was phone numbers that I needed to delete, um, online accounts that had to close. Uh, there's people now that could see every internet site I ever visited and so they said, you read a lot of celebrity gossip news, as well as some of this other stuff, right? But every side is is on there and just these new patterns that had to begin, right? And then uh, that we're replacing the old patterns so repentance has the two parts right I'm both getting rid of the old and sin has to die but it has to be replaced with new life and so for every you know this is gone and I'm, I'm leaving this I'm also turning and embracing Christ and new habits and spiritual disciplines and
0: what, what was God's response so you repent of your sin and what does God do in response to that
1: God forgives. I mean, his, his response to repentance is amazing, but a total washing. Uh, he responds so graciously to those that repent, right? Yes. Very kind. He's close to repentance because it's, it's what he asked for in the Bible. Yes. And so. yeah. You know, I love the word that Tyler just used, washing.
0: And in fact, I want to ask you to look at a scripture with me. So if you brought a Bible, would you turn to 1 Corinthians 6? Okay, I'm going to interrupt this interview for a moment, and I want to take a look at a passage With you, I want to go back to God's big story. Okay, we talked about creation and fall. We're going to get to part three right now redemption. What does redemption look like? Let me do a quick review of what we said about creation and fall with respect to homosexuality. Okay, when we covered creation last week, we we asked the question, Does God make some people gay? Because you hear that all the time. Well, that's just the way God makes some people. We need to celebrate it. So we went to the opening book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the story of creation. And what we discovered was there's no homosexuality there. In fact, just the opposite. There's an emphasis in the opening chapters of the Bible on heterosexuality, or or to use the word that I used last week, complementarity. Okay, what does complementarity mean? It means that God created two distinct genders, and he brings a man and a woman together in a special relationship, for complementarian purposes. Those purposes, first one being that together they reflect the image of God. You know, that that's one of the, the reasons God designed us in a complementary way. God is a diverse yet unified God. He's a three-in-one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, diversity and unity. And so a, a man and a man coming together are not a reflection of that image. A woman and a woman are not a reflection of that image. When a man and a woman come together in a sexual union, it's a reflection of the image of a diverse yet unified God. Second reason for that complementarity, we learned, is, is sexual intimacy. That when a, uh, a man and a woman whose parts, body parts, all you got to do is look at the body parts and realize they were designed to fit together. When, when they come together, there's an experience of sexual intimacy as they make love. It's a face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball intimacy. Not just sexual gratification, but intimacy. And then the third reason for this complementarity is, is procreation, childbearing. It doesn't mean that every heterosexual couple has to have kids. It just means God designed bodies this way so that a man and a man can't produce a child or a woman and a woman, but a man and a woman do. This is God's creation design, the first part of the story. Second part of the story was the fall. Unfortunately, sin enters the picture, and we've all sinned. And the Bible tells us we now have a sinful nature, which means by nature we do what's wrong. It's natural to us. We have this inborn inclination you know, to gravitate towards sin, whatever your sin of choice is. Whether your sin of choice is anger or it's gossip or it's materialism, you know, or a sexual immorality of one sort or another. And we learn that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is one kind of sexual immorality. Okay, the Bible says it's wrong. And I I need to be clear here, not the homosexual orientation, but homosexual behaviors, because we're all oriented towards sin. Again, whatever your sin of choice, you have a natural inclination for it. It feels like you when you do it. Okay? So, so a, an orientation toward homosexuality is not sin, but it becomes sinful when you act upon it according to the Bible. That's what we, we learned last week. Unfortunately, we all act on our inclinations, whatever our sinful inclinations are. All have sinned, the Bible says, And so fall short of the glory of God. We're in trouble with a holy God. We're at a distance from Him. That's where we pick up the story in 1 Corinthians 6. This is the good news. This is redemption. So let me begin reading at verse 9 and read several verses to you. And in the context, you're gonna see homosexuality pop up as well. Verse 9 Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? So don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what some of you were, but you were washed. There's the washed word I said I like so much Is part of Tyler's story. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Tyler, I happen to know you're a seminary student, yeah. which means you're, you're doing graduate studies mm-hmm. in the Bible. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going to ask you a few questions about this text that, that, that we just read. For, first of all, you know, I'm struck by the fact that, that Paul says, any of us who continue in patterns of sin... Okay. Instead of uh, saying, "Now I want to turn my back, I want that pattern to be broken, we go on our merry way, continuing in those patterns of sin, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Period. End of sentence. Wow. And at the end of verse 9, Paul gives this long list of what kinds of habitual sins he's got in mind. And one of the things he says, end of verse 9, is men who have sex with men. Mm-hmm. Now here's my question. I've heard some pro-gay interpreters say... You know, Paul's not talking about contemporary homosexuality or homosexuality as we know it in our culture. He's talking about first century homosexuality that was always abusive. It was men taking advantage of boys, or it was uh, people going to pagan temples and paying for sex with a temple prostitute, okay? Now, when I read this, men who have sex with men, end of verse 9, yeah. doesn't say that. So what do these words mean?
1: Yeah. It, uh that is a, an objection that's raised regularly, and the people that raise it are right, that there were many instances of abusive homosexuality in those in the time that Paul was writing. But what I think is also interesting is that recent research shows that there's also kind of homosexual love poems that sound like they could be written today from that time as well. And so it's not that Paul was ignorant to any kind of romantic type relationship, right? And it was all abuse, but New research indicates that, yeah, there, he probably might have been more familiar than we might think with the kind of homosexuality that is around today. Now, those particular words that you mentioned, its it's two words in the Greek. Uh, One refers to a more active partner, we could say, in in a male and male sex relationship, and the other to a more receptive partner, right? And so I think just logically, an argument that makes sense to me is if Paul was only after homosexual abuse, I feel like he would have only said something against the more active partner, right? But since he mentions both, it seems like it's a more holistic view of not upholding homosexual contact, and that makes sense to me in the context of the Bible, you see when i've heard these objections raised it's uh it's usually when folks are zeroing in on these verses right and really wanting to get into what these particular greek words mean and and you can make them mean slightly different things right and there there are variants in what any word means so folks are are driving in and trying to do that, but I think that we need context, right, whenever we read. And context is something we get culturally. You know, a celebrity says something they shouldn't have, a politician's out campaigning, and what's the first thing they say to do damage control? They say, you should have understood me in context. And so I think the context for this verse is both the rest of 1 Corinthians, but also the whole Bible and what I think you did so well last week when I watched the video, and then I know that this church loves the Bible, right? The Bible as a whole is very clear that same-sex sexual relationships just aren't imagined. And so when folks try to drill in on a particular verse and question the language and the wording of the original, I always want to back up and say, whoa, 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 we've got context in the whole thing, and we need to read the Bible in light of the unified word of God that it is. And and when we read it in that sense, I think that, yeah, it is kind of as your Bible's translated, men who have sex with men, seems a pretty good translation to me. Okay.
0: Now, here's the problem for me, the problem for me and for everybody here, is that the list doesn't only include men who have sex with (laughs) men. That's true. It's a long list. (laughs) And I'll bet most of us can see ourselves somewhere on that list, right? The list includes everything from dishonesty to slander to, you know, whatever. We're all on that list. And just in case you think you aren't, Paul begins the list by referring to wrongdoers. So anybody in this place never committed a wrong? See, we're all wrongdoers. So here's my my next question for you. Does that mean we're all in trouble? Paul says wrongdoers are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So We're we're all destined for an eternity apart from God.
1: Right, game over, right? Well, almost, but then we get that beginning of verse 11 that says, and that's what some of you were. And I think the past tense there, were, is so important. Paul's saying, though this might have characterized you, this is what some of you were, and there's been some difference, some transformation that's taken place.
0: Okay, so it doesn't have to define who I am now. It can be who I, I was. Now, what you use the word transformation What is the, you know, how does the transformation take place? Yeah,
1: that's that's the washing. That's that second part of the verse. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You know, I, I think about that washing, and this is a difficult concept for folks to get, and this is one I have to remind myself of again and again, but Jesus does the washing. It's a thorough clean. When he does the washing, he leaves no stain. And especially for someone like myself and probably many of you, right? When we willfully sin, it's hard to believe that God would ever do a sincere washing. I was remembering yesterday, I have the same car I've had in high school, it's lasted me a a long time, and so turned on the radio coming over here, and I remembered a time when I was driving to a house where I had no business being, and I feel this conviction in my heart, right, and so what do I do? I turn on the radio, turn it up to drown it out, and so that kind of willful disobedience to God, right, that exact willful disobedience, the Bible still says God washes, he sanctifies and restores, that's what the transformation is, it's a work that he does. It's not something I can do. It's not change I can create on my own. And it's it's a tough message to believe, especially yes, when you've been so willful. Yes. But it's what the Bible says, and I've put my confidence in that, that when I place my faith in Christ, he has done that washing work. And that before God, yes. I'm clean.
0: That is good news, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, that is that is good news for any one of us who wants to surrender our lives to Christ. Whatever your sins of choice are, whatever they are, you can be washed. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to celebrate communion to close our services. And uh, communion just is a remembrance of what Christ did on the cross. The penalty for our sin was death. Okay, The Bible says that when we go our own way instead of God's way, when we unplug from the giver of life, the penalty is death. Jesus came, took that penalty on himself. He died in our place. For all who surrender their lives to him, they could now be washed clean. Now, that's part three of the story. That's redemption. I want to get to part four, restoration, because it doesn't stop with just being washed. God begins to remake us. So once you had repented of your sins and, and you were washed, was that restoration immediate? I mean, all of a sudden, all sexual temptations now pass you know, no more trouble in that area of your life, right?
1: I wish. <laughs> I uh, it, It's slow. I think God is is a patient teacher. He goes for mastery of concepts. He works out over time. And so, no, there wasn't an immediate end to temptation, and there's not even really an end now. But what happened, it felt like a death at first, right? It felt like I'm dying, I'm killing this sin. What's really happening is it's like you're coming out of a tomb, And so the the good fruit, that hope that comes later, all the rich promises in the Bible, right? And there's many for God's goodness and his favor and his love for his people. That fruit came a little later. At first, it's very much obedience and I'm repenting and I'm doing the tough work that comes with turning from sin. But after a while, that fruit starts to bloom and grow and things are restored and there's new friendships in the place. I mean, that Friendship has been a huge thing for me because I think a deep fear behind a lot of folks that struggle in the same way I do is that, well, okay, if I'm not acting out and kind of these sexual desires and if I'm not pursuing intimacy with people in that way, who's going to love me? You know who's going to be a, a close caring person for me and the lord has supplied the deepest and richest friends for me that i could have ever imagined i mean that's a very tangible way that i've experienced wow. restoration but step after step season after season god has renewed and restored all those things that even i thought would lost. i mean another quick story i i love the theater i've always loved the theater right part of my restoration was uh, getting a job with this same Christian ministry, working in conferencing, and so I'm doing this large conference. We're putting on kind of like a Price Is Right spoof. We've rented a big wheel. We've got a plinko board, and I've got the producer's headset on, and really in the in the moment, you know. And I said simple phrase producers have said before: "More fog, please." In the <laughs> in the headset, and the fog comes out, and I got overwhelmed. And I'm crying there at the front of the thing. Someone else has to take over. But it's something, who would ever think God would be so good? Yes, he forgives. Yes, he washes. But to restore that desire for theater that I've always had and loved, and to give that to me in a new way, in a new gift, and in service to his kingdom, and as big and as imaginative as I'd want it to be, and with with a headset included, I mean, it was... (laughs) It was a tangible reminder, though, that God yes. does restore fully. He yes. is a God. I mean, I remind myself of this truth, but he, he has my good in mind. Yes. And though it might seem difficult at times, he He is yes. working for that. He cares more about yes. my good than I do. And that was another one of yes. those tangible moments that, all right, I can yes. trust this God. Yes. It's not just heartbreak and despair in the future. There's good things he has.
0: If I could, if I could just underscore what my brother's saying here, two sides of the coin. As, as you you begin to follow Christ and you make a break with sin, it is not like pushing a button, you go on cosmic cruise control, God takes over and it's effortless. It, it's hard following Jesus in many ways, but the flip side is there is a joy and there's a fulfillment and, you know, there's no place better to be than walking in obedience to Christ. I'm curious, I'm going to pitch you a softball here. Hope you hit it well because you're you're here at a church. I want to know what role the church played in your restoration process. How important is is it?
1: The church was huge. I went uh, to a church in college that a lot like Christ Community valued the Bible. And so from the Bible, they had uh, gained a good sense of patience for folks with habitual sin. I think they'd seen how the Lord is so patient with folks throughout the pages of the Bible. And so they didn't have me on any kind of quick timeline, some harsh plan or that kind of thing, but patient for my growth. They were comfortable when setbacks would come. And then you talk about a rich surrounding of community and care. Um, again, a place where you could be honest. I didn't just need to have a journal anymore. Uh, I could talk to real people about it in small group. Uh, these were people that I could be fully honest with and they could be honest with me. And that, that was incredibly huge. I honestly... Yes. I think one of the subtle points too from small group was to be around other folks confessing sin as well. There's so much shame that I felt, right? And associated with my sin that I, of all the sinners, I must be the worst, right? Totally how I felt. And to be in a small group where I share, but then the next person shares something and I realize, oh gosh, we're in this together and God, we all need God's grace. That was a huge gift from the church.
0: Let me ask you, Christ community across four campuses, would you like to be the kind of church that this guy's describing? Would you? Yeah, I know I would. Yeah. You know, in two weeks from now, we're going to take a break from the series next weekend's Father's Day weekend. So we're taking a complete break from the series. But two weeks from now, we conclude the series talking about how do we become the sort of Christ followers, and the sort of church that loves on people, coming from the sort of struggle that, uh, that Tyler has personally experienced. Just a real curious question, uh, and, and I'll sort of wrap it up with this, because I'm guessing it's probably on a lot of people's minds. Yeah. Has this restoration for you, has it included a change in sexual orientation? Mm-hmm. Like, have you become heterosexual in your inclinations yeah. now, or, or do you still face homosexual yeah. temptation?
1: yeah i 'd say i 'd say that 's not the case i haven 't experienced a change in orientation but i 'd also say i 'm not sure that 's the goal uh, I think th- the goal for me has been to become more like christ uh, to become holy and conformed more in his image and and god 's very good at that that 's his goal for us as well in sanctification and so he 's got me on that plan that 's the plan i'm i 'm walking on actively and and i 've seen that i 've seen fruit from that yes. that god 's uprooting sin, and I'm not only just in this sin area, right, and in my sexuality being redeemed, but I'm more patient, I'm more kind, right, all these things. That's the plan God has me on. But I guess a more specific answer, too, when folks ask, the way I describe kind of my healing at this point is it's not yet freedom from all attractions, but it's maturity in them. I'm not a slave to porn, right? I don't have to act out and call someone late at night as soon as I feel that desire. And then I'm I'm open for what God has in the future. There's been many people with all kinds of stories that some that can get married and have had very successful marriages with someone of the opposite sex or some that have very good friendships and live a life of contented singleness. And I mean, there's just all kinds of options, right? And so I'm open to whatever the Lord has kind of next in those tangible ways or as it relates to sexuality, but but more focused, and I think more broadly focused on that sanctifying path. And I I totally see God uh, carrying me through that and and delivering on his promises there to to see that through to completion. Tyler just mentioned
0: other stories out there. And and I want to tell you about three stories. uh, They're recorded in books, biographies. Uh, all relatively new, all written by people who I've gotten to know over the past year of researching this topic. I want to put the book covers up on the screen and encourage you, you know, not all stories are like Tyler's. So, Out of a Far Country is written by Christopher Yuan and his mom. Uh, Christopher happens to be a really good friend of mine who comes from a, a very flamboyantly gay lifestyle, ends up in prison for selling drugs, finds a Bible in a wastebasket, ends up surrendering his life to Christ, mentioned his story last weekend. It's a riveting story. The the middle book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, uh, written by Rosaria Butterfield, she's got a PhD in English. She taught at Syracuse University, was in a lesbian relationship, was the head, the faculty advisor to all the gay and lesbian clubs on campus, uh, was very angry with people uh, who used the Bible in their lives. So she was Uh, setting out to write an article to diss the Bible, and thought she ought to read it herself. She ought to study it, find out what it says. It it led to an amazing conversion story. You just got to read it for yourself. And uh, I've been getting to know Rosari a little bit uh, on email and over the phone. Uh, Wesley Hill, uh, we've also gotten to know each other over the phone. What I appreciate about uh, Wesley's book, the dude's got a Ph.D. in New Testament. And so if ever there were someone who would look at the biblical text and say, I'm sure there's a way to get around these, because he's, you know, by orientation, is gay. You know, he's come to the conclusion, the traditional conclusion, that no, you don't get around these prohibitions. They are there, rightly understood. God says this is not his his plan. So he's living a single life, but a joy-filled, fulfilled, uh, very fulfilled life, and his story is told in Washed and Waiting. So I encourage you, those books are available at the resource uh, shop at each of our four campuses. You can pick them up. Uh, As we bring things to a close here, one of the great things we get to do in this service after hearing a story like this is to participate in communion, Mm -hmm. is to lift up, exalt the one who died on the cross for our sins so that we could be washed in our lives could be transformed. So I'm going to close our time in prayer right now. And when I say amen, each of our campus pastors will lead in a a closing time of of communion and then we'll wrap up the service. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you for the honesty of uh, Tyler, his willingness to tell a story. Uh, God, there are very few of us who would want our failures, our uh, you know, our, our, our moral failings told on a stage in front of hundreds of people, but it's been so helpful to hear a story because it's pointed to you, the one who can change us, the one who welcomes us, who says, come and let me clean you up. And we just thank you for uh, what we're about to experience in communion, the, you know, the washing that we can experience when we surrender our lives to you. And we would ask God that you would make this a, a meaningful time as we celebrate communion together. And I would pray for those who are struggling in any area of their lives where a sin has got its tentacles wrapped around them, that this, even today's service would be a time when they would be set free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.